Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of the Transform TV podcast series. Today, we're going to be talking to Rick Helfenbein, who is the former president, CEO, and chairman of the board of the American Apparel and Footwear Association. Rick, thank you so much for joining us. Ah, this is great. I love to be here. Really? I can... Well, why don't... Well, I was going to say, why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and, 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 and what you did and what you're doing right now. My, my great pleasure. I, um, I uh, spent most of my life running various um, apparel uh, and manufacturing companies in the United States. For 16 years, Hong Kong-based company uh, that was global. When we started in business, we were doing about $300 million. When I left, we were at one4 billion dollars um all over the globe and uh in the in the course of doing that i had to uh, get involved with some things in washington so uh, i joined a group called the american apparel Footwear association which connected us very well to washington and the peter principle must have applied because i kept showing up at meetings they kept promoting me uh ended up becoming chairman of the board and then the president who had been there for years left so um I became president and CEO, and I moved to Washington and got me a chance to deal face-to-face with the government, which during the Trump administration was an amazing, amazing situation. So uh, I'm happy to be here. I hope I can uh, shed some light to your viewers uh, as the problems that uh, were created under the Trump administration and the problems we're living with today, maybe some potential solutions. Well, it's it's funny because you and I were chatting before, you know, the cameras started rolling, uh, you know, when we were in hair and makeup, right? Um, we we were chatting about uh, the audience that we have. So we've got supply chain leaders that are our listeners. Um, and, and I was explaining to you that, you know, that this crowd, what they're really looking for is to find a way to build resilience and, uh, you know, agility in this age of disruption. And then we started talking about the experience that you've got and China came up. And the, the reason why that's an important one is because if we're talking about disruption and we're talking about this new era that we're in, um, China and the you know, geopolitical issues there, and you talk about the Trump administration, all of it has got to, to play there. So um, let's talk about that. What, 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 what can you tell us? What have you seen so far? What have you been working on? And uh, what can our supply chain leaders do to help build some resilience? Well, speaking uh, directly, if you will, to your supply chain leaders, I will tell you that uh, you folks are front and center right now for everybody in the United States who's trying to run a business because if we can't get the goods to market, we cannot survive. And quite frankly, when the Ever Given crashed into the side of the Suez Canal, it was almost like, you know, that just points attention to the fact about how important the issue of moving moving goods are. In, in, in America uh, right now, and, and, and again, this is global, but just speaking for America, we're heavily reliant on China. And uh, if we just look at the apparel industry, for example, uh, 36% of everything that we do in apparel still comes from China, in spite of uh, all the things that you've uh, heard in the news. We've been averaging about 40% over the years. And between China and Vietnam, that's 50%, 53% actually of the US market. So we've got 
two destinations to America. And then we go, you know, what's going on? Well, let's see. Yesterday, there were 28 freighters sitting off the coast, the west coast of the United States between uh, Long Beach and L.A. Uh, in January, there were some like 60 more, 62, 63 freighters sitting off there. We've got to be able to unload goods. We've got to be able to move goods. We've got to be able to bring them into the country. We've got to be able to distribute them. And most big retailers in America have now set up uh, supply chain war rooms, you know, like war rooms, like the real thing, like how do we get goods to market? And we're trying to do all this in the face of what was last year, Maria, probably the worst retail year of all. I mean, just to give you a little bit of an idea how bad it was, and most people know this. I mean, we had 27 bankruptcies last year of a major proportion, but they weren't like little names. You know, Neiman Marcus, Cook's brother, J.C. Penney, J.C. Crew, J. Crew. These were all names that everybody knows. So we had major shock hitting our system. Um, we lost about 11,000 doors last year, which some of you listening could say that's bad. And some of you say it's probably good because everybody knows we had too much square foot, uh, a retail selling space per person in the United States. And we're in a much healthier environment in terms of companies that went into bankruptcy because the process took about three months and they came out with less debt. So that part is good. Uh, the problem with a lot of companies that, um, came out of bankruptcies, they have new owners. New owners are going, hmm, you know, we're, uh, we're not going to accept the old way of doing business. We want 90-day terms. Hmm, 90 days upon receipt of goods and 90 days to get goods. That's six months we've got to carry inventory, which then goes back to do we have enough credit in the system to manage that type of inventory? So we have to make every single dollar count. So then, Maria, you turn to me and say, hey, you guys just got $1.9 trillion. Not so fast. You know, actually, if you really look at that bill, only about $32 billion of the $1.9 trillion uh, was designed to help our industry, if you will. And that would involve loans and things like that. But the, a lot of the loans were given with codicils that, in fact, employees, not employers. So we got people coming back to work for jobs that may not exist because we can't get enough credit in the system. So anybody who thinks that um, this is over, uh, it goes back to how do we get goods to market? How do we reroute goods? How do we reduce risk in this system? And, uh, you know, that's why supply chain as uh, is no longer on the back burner, not that it ever was, but it is front and center to the survival of retail, both in the United States, in the UK, and around the world. So I okay. hope that it was like a encapsulation. No, no, that's 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 brilliant, and I, you know, I really, I think, I think what you said about the supply chain war rooms uh, resonates with a lot of people because it really was a war room environment, wasn't it, uh, in this past year and. And everything that you talk about with retail and apparel, which is your background, the ramifications are for a lot of other businesses too. You know, this, they're all going through risk issues and how they mitigate risk in in this new age. Um, you know, what advice do you have? I mean, 
what have you seen that people are doing effectively that, that, that perhaps could be something that other supply chain leaders could do to help mitigate some of this risk? Well, you know, um, terrible problems create their own terrible problems. And so some of the problems that we've had um, with the fact that we can't get enough containers or the fact that we can't unload the containers fast enough, um, price of freight has gone up like three to five times. And so now we have sea freight almost on a par with air freight. So now you have people sitting in these war rooms going, hmm, maybe we should put part by air, part by sea. How do we mitigate that risk? Maybe we should reroute our goods, send some up to the north, some up to the south, some to the east coast, and diversify where it's unloaded. We've also, it's pushing a, a lot of people, um, if you will, into shipping direct to consumer because we have a rule in the United States, you can ship every individual in the United States $800 one time a day, <laughs> once a day, I should say, every day of the year. So we have people shipping direct from outside the country right to the consumer to avoid the bottleneck at the port. So we have all sorts of dynamics and creative, uh, ingenious ways of getting uh, goods to customers. But, you know, Maria, you mentioned one other thing. Uh, the reliance on China, not just for apparel, but for everybody, sure. yeah. is, is creating so many issues that people didn't think of. So, uh, you know, right now, U.S. Customs is looking at cotton and tomatoes coming out of Xinjiang and China. And they have the ability to do something called a WRO, withhold and release order. You know, you got goods coming across the border and it's, it says, uh, you know, China and it's cotton. They can stop it, hold it. And you've got to prove, you know, that it wasn't uh, made in an area of dispute in Xinjiang or the Tsar region of China. So we have that issue going on. A lot of people move the goods from China. Oh, we're going to save it there. We're going to move it out. We're going to go to Myanmar. Well, that's not working out so well. No, not, not now, yeah. <laughs> so pull that back. Oh, you know, we've had a lot of luck in Ethiopia. That's not working out so well right now. There's a problem with the Tigris in the northern part of the country. So where are you going to get goods from? How are you going to bring them in? Where are you going to reroute them? And then, you know, companies are global. So we also have the issue everybody wants to sell into China. That's a big deal for retail. And China, as you know, <laughs> in the last week, uh, went after H&M, mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately. And, you know, now brands are getting nervous because they have such a percent of their business in China. And what do they do with all their compliance issues that they've posted on the website, their social responsibilities, their statements, you know, of uh you know, how they're going to handle certain aspects of the supply chain and China's cracking down on that. So it's not just one issue. So I congratulate all your viewers who are setting up these war rooms because those meetings have got to be really interesting. It's not just one thing. It's a multiple of things. Yeah. So can I ask you, Rick, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the industry change quite a lot since since you got started. Uh, you said something about supply chain being on the back burner. I, I'm not, you, you know that it's, you know, you said it yourself. It's not that it was on the back burner, but certainly 
COVID and the disruption that we've had has placed uh, supply chain at the front of everyone's mind. How has the industry or how has the profession changed uh, really since since you got started? Well, when I got started, I was uh, young and I would go over to Hong Kong. And oddly enough, I don't know how they knew it, but all the freight carriers would call my hotel room and say, hey, we're here, you're in town. We understand you're a big buyer, you have a big pencil. Why don't you come out and take a ride on our junk in Hong Kong Harbor? And we'd go out and we'd have a party and I'd meet these guys. And I didn't know, honestly, I was in my 20s. I didn't know one freight company from another. So if I went out and I met this guy and he was great, I'd just come back and say, you know, ship everything with that guy. Why? No reason. The freights were all used to, the rates used to be equal. The routes used to be about the same. And, you know, over time, you know, as the, as economies and businesses tightened up, we started analyzing more carefully what freight companies could do for you and how to handle freight and who was the most efficient. And all of a sudden, the freight companies went from being uh, silent partners to being an active part of your your business, and it became, you know, much more competitive, if you will. Um, and we've grown to rely more on the freight companies. And, and like I said, the ever given crashing into the Suez Canal was sort of like a wake up call for everybody because the movement of goods today uh, is almost as important as the sourcing of goods. So freight companies need to be out there front and center saying what they can do for you because they have the ability to make business better all the way around. And, you know, freight rates can be competitive. Um, they sort of come down over time to a level that everybody can deal with. But the rates we're paying now are just exorbitant. And uh, again, it's putting everybody on a microscope particularly, uh, if you will, Marie, on the West Coast of the United States, because, you know, we were having this whole thing with our phase one deal with China, and we're focusing on the amount of exports we could get out of the West Coast to China, only to find out a lot of the freight companies were shipping containers back empty because the turnaround was faster, and there were more goods coming in than going out. So now the government's looking at the freight company and go, what are you doing? We have to export and import, not just import. So, uh, the one thing you can say about about the President Trump and his administration, he um, he brought uh, the issue of the balance of trade front and center. Now, those policies may have been misguided to the extent that he believed he could manually adjust the trade deficit. That doesn't work. Any great economist will tell you it doesn't work. Adam Smith used to, the great economist Adam Smith used to say that was just an absurd idea. We know for a fact that tariffs in the United States have never worked. Uh, they didn't work for President Obama with tires. They didn't work for President Bush on steel. Um, and it becomes problematic how we're dealing on an international basis. And all this stuff has to level out and get back to business as usual. And right now, as we transition to the Biden administration, they are leaving those tariffs in place for now because that's their bargaining chip. So <laughs> there's a lot going on till we get back to the way it was, or quite frankly, we may never get back to the way it was. 
all the more reason for these war rooms, you know, for finding ways to to try to solve problems quickly and uh, with agility and resilience. Let's talk about sustainability for a second. You know, what kind of consideration um, are retailers today or the apparel industry today seriously taking into building sustainability into their supply chains? Well, that becomes very important, but, you know, sometimes it's not for the reason that you think. I mean, we should all be good corporate citizens and take sustainability uh, into account. But the, the reality is, particularly in the world of retail, that um, you cater your philosophy to your customer. And your customer these days is either the millennial or uh, Gen Z. And we call that the itty, I-T-Y generation. Why? Because they're into all the itties, sustainability. Uh, traceability, circularity, equality, diversity, anything that ends in an ITY is something that they are into. And um, your customer wants it. You've got to think about it. And you've certainly got to try um, to provide it. So the carbon uh, footprint, the um, fact that you have to be more efficient, the fact that you have to deliver all through the supply chain, Everything that your consumer wants has shed new light on how we do business. And that, again, is another reason why supply chain becomes more important, why people in the supply chain management have to be more vocal about what they're doing for their customers and what their customers care about. Um, it's not just the movement of goods anymore. It's the propriety in, in the way that you move goods. So it's... a again, adds to the complexity and adds to the rationale why supply chain uh, has become so important. Rick, I want to thank you for uh, for taking part. That's all the time that we've got at the moment, but you've certainly given us a lot to think about, and I'm sure we'd love to have you again talking about all the changes and everything that's happening here. You know, we just had the Suez Canal issue, and, uh, uh, you know, there's always something, isn't there? There's always something in the news. You know, we, we looked at the canal issue as ever given on this coast and never taken on the other. So we've been caught between the two. I love that. I'm, I'm going to leave that in. Thank you so much. Rick. I appreciate you being here. Uh, for those of you watching, we will see you again in another episode of Transform TV. Thank you.